0: It's a drunken soiree in the in. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. Chris, let's tell everyone about our brand new sponsor.
2: Yes, new sponsor alert.
0: Egg Fried, brand new clothing brand from our very own home county of Essex. If you're a street art comic books kind of alternative lifestyle going to gigs watching cool films crazy art throwing a kind of little bit of asian culture and a slightly warped sense of humor and then you kind of get where they're going with egg fried right what do they make
2: they make punchy graphic tees hoodies sweatshirts wicked art prints as well as a denim range that's handmade in house which i think is really cool because it supports that slow fashion movement it's domestically made stuff and it lasts a long time and that's really where we're going now we shouldn't be buying a load of throwaway stuff
0: absolutely and they're supporting your wallets as well and let me tell you how they're doing that if you go over to eggfried.com go and buy some of their amazing garments throw them in your uh, basket before you check out they have given you lovely listeners an exclusive 10% discount code and that discount code is EGG SALAD e put that in, save yourself 10% and and if you're not even up for spending money on yourselves who else can they spend their money on Chris?
2: They have a kids range called Small Fried very cute, very cool and that's also available at eggfried.com
0: Official sponsors of Hardcore Listing woof woof. Hello and welcome to our Conniston podcast. Uh, I am one of your presenting jurors. I'm Stu. Whiffin. sitting opposite me is
2: uh, Christopher William Glasson. Greetings, travellers. All right, I'm I'm splendid. I'm splendid. Yeah, uh, a week a weekend of DIY. What else could I ask for, mate?
0: You've um you, you've you've been talking about. Uh, we, we just recorded the Patreon episode, and you've you've actually told me you've got a weekend of DIY. Are You feeling yeah. like a a proper bloke today
2: bought a, a Bosch um we're not sponsored by Bosch bought a Bosch multi-tool this weekend absolutely didn't it turns out I don't need it and Molly he was like how much was that I was like don't worry, don't worry about it I'm too embarrassed on how much I spent on a tool that I won't use
0: did you did you become a bit more of a geezer when you was in the shop
2: absolutely yeah absolutely um, well, um, I, I bought yeah, it I bought Al, it excuse
0: me how much is this bit of gear? Oh, yeah, sweet. <laughs> Cheers, bruv.
2: I just think it straight in the back of the van. <laughs> That's a KA you're driving. Oh, yeah. I call it my van. <laughs>
0: um, before we introduce today's guest, um, we should also give you, uh, uh, if you're a new listener, we should just give you a brief... Um, Heads up on what hardcore listening is. It's a weekly podcast that Chris and I have been doing for a few years now where we have guests, sometimes we don't have guests, and we count down a top five. Uh, We pick a subject and then count down a top five within that, whether that be crisps, sandwiches, films, songs, and today's one's very, very, very unique, and you're in for a treat. Um, Chris, we've got sponsors, right?
2: We do have sponsors, lovebeer.co.uk. The wonderful Charles from Love Beer has been with us from the get-go. I think you can probably still get a discount from Love Beer. Uh, lb L B H C L P is the discount code, and Charles will give you all the lovely beers that you could ever possibly dream of. And obviously Bang Boom Creative and Luke, who's been helping us with all our photo shoots recently. So thanks so much, Luke, for that. And our newest sponsor, which is... Um, egg fried mm. the wonderful clothes label streetwear pop punk skate inspired skatewear brand so yeah go and check out eggfried.co.uk and use the discount code egg salad it I might be.com like. i think i think they were wise and they got both huh up there for thinking mate so yeah whatever one you use you can- yeah
0: egg salad that's your discount code save uh, save yourself a couple of pennies um We're really excited today because um, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Scroobius Pip, uh, suggested that we reach out um, to to today's guest. So let's let's cut to it. Hello, Carla Valentine.
3: Hello, good morning. You all right? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I'm always (laughs) in my element when I'm talking about death. Pip will tell you.
2: Well, you asked us first. Just as soon as we looked on, are we? Is it too early for us to be talking about this sort of stuff? And me and she were like, "No, this is like, I woke up thinking about this this morning. Um, I didn't start talking about it to my girlfriend who was asleep because that would have been a bit weird." <laughs> but yeah, no, we we can't wait, Carla. Especially because we know, obviously, what your what your top fives is. But just an introduction for people who haven't say um, aren't aware of who Carla who Carla is. You're you're a qualified mortuary mortuary technician, but there's mm-hmm. also a even more fancy way of saying that as well isn't it is like an, mm. a, anatomical pathology technologist is that that's it mm. I, I know it's correct because i've just read it off my phone because i was running like, <laughs> out to answer it incorrectly
3: well thank you for doing that it's much appreciated because um you know obviously getting the right terminology is is good for the the profession as a whole but it is a bit of a mouthful so I tend to just say mortuary technician because it, it shows really what, what I do or what I did full time for 10 years, which was assist at autopsies. So that that's what I did for, for 10 years. But then in a sort of slight change of pace, I now work with bits of dead people, you know, human remains from as early as 1750 in a, an old uh, pathology museum. So they're all historical specimens of Syphilis and TB and lobotomies. So it's totally different, wow, but it's wow. still all death stuff. So I'm, um, you know, it's great. I've got my my fingers in lots of different pies of death.
2: Those, <laughs> those pies are quite grubby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: How cool is that having that on the CV? I've got my fingers in all manner of pies of death.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really difficult to describe when you've done, you know, one job for 10 years and you're highly qualified in that. And I did, you know, forensic science at uni. But then the next 10 years I've spent on all these historical specimens, I'm kind of like splitting between the past and the future of death all the time. Um, But it's great, though, because that's why I find out so much weird stuff about death practices across the world and, you know, in history, which leads me on to shows like this. So it's brilliant.
0: Wonderful. Um, So, Carla, what is your top five today?
3: So my top five is five everyday objects that have been made with human remains or you know you could call it five objects that buffalo bill might like to own <laughs> so i'm hoping these are all going to be quite new to you <laughs> um, and that you'll find it really interesting because of course to me this is all old hat it's all boring but uh, but for you guys that <laughs> should be good
2: yeah i not five objects that i can find in my lounge now <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great one it's a great top five
0: well, let's kick things off, Carla.
2: What's
3: yeah, number sir. five? So I am going to go with um, a very well-known phrase, you know, this, this idea that you can walk a mile in another man's shoes. And, uh, but you could walk a mile in another man's skin shoes because <laughs> there's a pair of shoes made from skin and they're in a Carbon County museum in Rawlins, which is in America. And they were made from an outlaw Basically, so a man who was quite quite successful for a while, uh, part of a a gang um, in the late 1800s, and um, he unfortunately bragged about some of his crimes when he was quite drunk in a a local tavern, which was a bad idea, and was dragged, you know, before the authorities. But um, the locals were pretty irritated with him anyway, just because he'd murdered quite a lot of, you know, their their people. He'd also stolen from passengers on trains and things like that so they lynched him in the end they just decided we can't wait you know he was sentenced to hang in about 1881 I think it was um but they couldn't wait and they decided to lynch him so at the time what a lot of medical practitioners used to do is dissect the body and then they would start to look at you know parts of the body like the brain to see if there's a way that we can tell, you know, who's going to be a criminal right. you know, based on what their anatomy was like. So that was all pretty standard practice at the time. So you've got Dr. McGee, you got Dr. Osborne, kill him, you know, uh, sorry, they don't kill him, he's hanged. Uh, they dissect him and they start to look at his brain. But then Dr. Osborne goes off on a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> And he, which there's no explanation for, it's just said, this was inconsistent with practice at the time, but it happened. So he decides to skin Big Nose Parrot. And he removes skin from the man's chest. And he removes skin from his thighs, sends them to a local tanner. And he says, I'd like you to make me from this skin a pair of shoes and a medical bag, which is quite ironic. And I really want you to keep the nipples on which was a fairly strange stipulation (laughs) So, at the same time um the skull cap of this this outlaw uh, big-nosed parrot was given to a 15 year old girl which is not the kind of present we tend to give 15 year old nowadays i I don't know if i would have appreciated it maybe i would have given my career who knows Uh, but she was an assistant to one of these doctors you see So she gets given this skull cap and she proceeds to use that for the next sort of 50 years as a pen holder, a doorstop and an ashtray, among other things. Um, And Osborne gets his his items back from the tanners. He gets his shoes and he gets his medical bag, but he's dismayed to find that the nipples haven't been left on there. So, you know, maybe the tanner just thought this is. To I
2: draw the bar, <laughs> Nipples, that's just obscene. <laughs> like,
3: I, I don't know whether he was planning to have him one nipple on each toe or whether he wanted <laughs> the nipples on the medical bag as a sort of, you know, to cover the catches, the clasps.
2: You could have pierced the nipples and then put what? a right. Run- through them and then that could have been to hold the bag yeah and I, and I say that just off the top of my head I've not done it <laughs> you clearly
3: thought about it <laughs> so, and it's a shame that there isn't really more information about this doctor and, and the reason he was so desperate to have these nipples yeah. you know on these basis. but um but he was a bit of a strange one you know he, he kept this man's body for about a year in a barrel of of whiskey that was used a lot back in the day to preserve corpses for a good long right. time um, I say, you know, good long, it's not as good as a fridge, but it, <laughs> it gave him about a year, I think, to do a lot of different experiments on on this man's body. Yeah. Um and then eventually just just sort of tossed it in, in into his backyard. Um yeah, so no no even a proper burial for the guy, I didn't even take him out of the barrel. And um and then he was he was found in the 1950s. So nice. somebody was digging up, you know behind where this man used to practice and found this body, missing a skull cap in a barrel you know, and thought, this sounds like the legendary, you know, big-nosed parrot. And at the time, the 15-year-old girl who had the skullcap, she was still alive. She was 80 or something at the time. But they contacted her, and they did a whole, you know, jigsaw puzzle. Oh, why? Six I was
2: going to say that. Oh, Wow.
3: <laughs> so, so, I mean, obviously, then as time passed, they have done DNA analysis, too. And it's definitely his body. And those shoes, as I say, are still in, in a museum with, with bits of his skull. You can see those. Um, and, you know, they just sort of live on as a kind of.
2: Oh. I've lost Carla. Have you lost Carla there, yeah. sure? Oh, no. Oh. I wonder if she'll come back, hopefully.
3: Oh, oh there we, we lo- go. We, we lost you back. for
2: a second. <laughs>
3: Yeah, my connection just went then annoyingly at the at the, at the end. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was that was apparently how, you know, what we used to do to prisoners. And uh, we did it, you know, in a lot of different countries, really, not just America, I should stipulate. I've got so many questions. Right, firstly,
2: mm. was the whiskey still in the barrel? That's my question, Ryan. <laughs> <mine. laughs> how, how did they do the shoes? Were the shoes, were the shoes like... I, I, when you said that, I'm somewhat, almost pick, picturing socks, but I'm guessing they weren't. Like, they actually had um, a leather sole, did they? A, a normal or wooden sole, and then the, the human skin was the, the, the upper part of the shoe.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what they did was, I mean, the guy, Osborne, obviously went about this process correctly and had the skin tanned just like any leather. Right. So it makes it a bit stronger. And yeah, they were, they were created into sort of proper, they're like lace-up brogues. And you can, you know, obviously see them if you look online, but there is a discrepancy between the colour. The, the top um, is a slightly different colour to the bottom. Um, so what some people are saying is that part of them are leather and part of them are skin, because perhaps the skin might not have been strong enough to yeah. be, you know, the bottom of the shoe. Yeah. Um, but this doctor, this Osborne, he, he went on to become, you know, the sort of mayor of the town eventually. And he wore those shoes for his inauguration. No, I mean, he, he didn't just put them in a cabinet and just go, you know, I've got these shoes of a, of a prisoner. Like he wore them. Um, and one presumes he used the medical bag as well. But unfortunately, the medical bag has never been found. Um, so, so we can't really you know, say what that looked like. But to, to answer the whiskey question that won't have been there um, after all that time because of the fact that it just evaporates, you right. know. But there is certainly nothing to say that people wouldn't have drunk the whiskey out of that barrel with Big Nose Parrot in it mm. um, because that's, that's quite a famous thing that happened to Nelson when he was brought back um, in a ship and he died and he was put in a barrel of rum. And so the the, prisoner, the prisoners, <laughs> the sailors on the ship would actually drink some of the rum that he was decomposing in and it's where we get the phrase tap in the admiral so really? it's quite a sort of <laughs> well, it's quite a well-known thing that people would yeah we would preserve corpses and things in alcohol but people would have a bit of a drink of it whether you know it's for, for good luck reasons or for curiosity reasons or just because they wanted to drink um, and that was yeah.
2: all that was available <laughs> they couldn't go to like asda and get like the cheapest rum. they had to mm. do, oh wow I yeah. wonder if there are any reports on how that affected the alcohol, like how it affected the flavour of it. Because I can't imagine if mm. if we if she was to die, you know, in the next few hours, and I stuck him mm. in a in a in a in a one of these caskets, I can't imagine wanting to taste that whiskey.
3: No, no, I definitely think it's probably something that, which is you know an area in time which happened where there was a bit of folklore, you know, around the fact that. It, well, there was an awful lot of corpse medicine folklore, you know. So things like if you took the hand of a hanged man and laid it on your head, it could cure epilepsy. So I think a lot of that kind of comes into it. Well, that said, you've just reminded me that there is a cocktail that you might have heard of in um, it's in Canada and it's it's happening now and it's called the sour toe cocktail, and it has a it has a toe in it. And if, no. you, if you drink this cocktail, yeah, it's it's it's, it's all. Back is to do with a man who lost his toe to gangrene or something and decided well I know what I'll do I'll put it in a cocktail <laughs> um and that and they they created this as a bit of a you know um like a tourist thing you know, to get them to come to this bar because you get a certificate afterwards to say that you drank it and there's a rhyme that goes with it and it is you can drink it fast you can drink it slow but your lips have got to touch the toe so that's the rule <laughs> But over the years quite a few of the toes have been swallowed, you know, by people trying to do it and get it over with. So they have now a collection of donated toes that they um it's in the Yukon in Canada, you can look it up, wow. yeah. So I was going I just to say, just
2: where do you get, where do you get uh, what supplier is supplying toes to bars? But um, obviously... I'm well, getting...
3: you know, I, toes abound. I'm like, what's his name from the Big Lebowski? You know, if you want a to toe, <laughs> I can get tow. It's <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> but, you know, I'd get fired. But, yeah, so, you know, you think actually these practices are from a long time ago, but are still sort of going on in the world today, you know. Uh-oh
0: just another an, another completely hypothetical question i know that when we in, initially spoke you know we did mention uh ways to to to, to, to get rid of a body um Ooh. i mean hypothetically chris comes over this evening um mm-hmm. takes takes a like a, a massive massive uh, dramatic uh uh tumble down my stairs and uh Ooh. and smashes his skull right in like really badly uh, and he's, he's very, very, very dead and like bruising all over his body. Like, if I don't know, say, say for instance, I, I don't know, like, you know, something happened and I, you know, and someone had to get rid of that body, like, mm. hypothetically speaking, like, what would be the quickest and best way to, to, to make Chris go away?
3: You've got it in for each other today. You're like, if he dies, if he dies, what am I going to do? So, well, not that I should be giving out tips, like, but I would think, um, I mean, one of the things that I would probably do, depending on how uh, well run the funeral home was, but I would break into a funeral home and hide him under somebody else in a coffin somebody who was going to get cremated the next day brilliant um,
2: that is such good thinking Carla
3: I really don't want anyone to go
2: and do that, that is I'm so impressed with that like in all, such a good in, idea in all the hours I've spent thinking about that subject I just yeah. never thought hiding under another body I'm going to <laughs> tell that one to Pip he'll be so proud that's a great <laughs> idea
3: I mean it's the first thing that comes to mind but remember I've probably spent a lot of time thinking about this longer maybe longer than you guys have so um, particularly if it's a bigger person as well because if the coffin is really big and people are expecting it to be heavy you know they're not going to think oh god why is this so heavy um, that would be the first that is idea. the
2: last thing people think
3: someone's crammed another <laughs> yeah. body in it. Exactly. So that's my. I'm going to go to prison now.
0: There's a a funeral home at the end of my road.
3: There you go. (laughs) Go I'm not (laughs) going
2: to. Thankfully, it's COVID going on. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but I might have to come over for a while. Just just long enough to forget what your plan is. Um, Carla, just going back to Dr. Osborne, Mm -hmm. this whole shoe wearing, Uh, it'd be interesting to hear his psychology because. The idea of them wearing those shoes i don 't know yeah. if that's a power move. It's threatening this it might be there's some psychological thing he was doing to other people by mm. by doing that, but people seem to have had a much i know you' said, like what you said there you 've got infinite access to toes and stuff but like our relationship with bodies mm. how's that changed over the years because you wouldn't find anyone going oh let 's make use of that um that 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 um convicts corpse now put a a Mm. a dead man's hand on your head how's that
3: changed over time it it seems yeah I think I mean certainly what you said about Dr Osborne there there's you know there's a real element of a power trip because you know, this man was a criminal and he was a doctor and he's sort of like, I can effectively do what I want to you. And we we see that repeated in things like Nazi Germany, where they would, you know, make lampshades and things uh, from their prisoners. Ed Gein, um, you know, he did that with his female victims and he's not the only one. I mean, I think Dharma used to use the skulls, didn't need to eat out of. Mm-hmm. So I think there's certainly an element of that sadism and, and the power trip, but there's also just, a different. We had a different approach. We were quite weren't quite so ethically bothered back in the day. As we know, you know, as we, as we progressed, things like animal testing is frowned upon, and and you know, of course, capital punishment and things like that. So our relationship has changed. But when it comes to the direction of prisoners in particular, this guy seems to take it as a quite a, something that he wanted to do. Like he was very into the whole idea lots of prisoners were dissected for show as part of their punishment because it was a religious issue. So it was to do with the fact that, you know, we've hanged you, but you haven't suffered enough, so we're going to cut you into pieces, and then that way you won't be able to get into heaven either because Mm. no one assumed that, you know, bodies with their intestines hanging out and their heads off were going to get into heaven. So it was part of uh, a punishment in that sense. And so a lot of doctors had to do it, but they didn't particularly like it. And they didn't really particularly like the fact that what they were trying to do was learn about anatomy, but they were being used in a way as part of the judicial system. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that changed. The more corpses were available to kind of study for anatomy, in it, and that's something we'll go on to talk about. Um, I think the more our relationship with the dead became a bit more reverent uh, rather than just, yeah, let's make a, a shoe out of them.
2: Nice. Shall we go on to number four then? Let's do it. Number four.
3: Yeah. So, <clears throat> what I... Um, I'm going to talk about the next one then. Okay, so we're going to, we're going a bit further up from the feet and a bit lower down from the nipples. So, mm-hmm. do, you, do you guys ever call... Cordial... My favourite area. <laughs> do you ever refer to a scrotum as a coin purse?
0: No, but I will be there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. I don't know why, just reminds me of one, right? A little, little one like with, with a little leather lace at the top. I don't know. So <laughs> we're going to talk about the necro pants. So you've got to bear with me here, because it's it's a whole pair of pants, but the scrotum is very important. So this is something which is, according to 17th century Icelandic uh, witchcraft and sorcery, and there's a museum of witchcraft and sorcery in Iceland. And they've got this display there and it's called the necropants or the nabrock is the Icelandic word for it. And uh, what they are is they're a the pair of trousers, um, but they look more like tights because they've got the feet attached to the bottom and they are meant to provide you with money forever. So, um, you know, you will never go poor. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you out um, the way that these were actually created, because, I you know, it's it's just quite funny to to, to read it properly. Um, But one thing that I did just want to mention first, as you said, you know, our relationship with the dead has changed over time. And one of the things that really changed our relationship here in the UK was the formation of the Human Tissue Authority, after the big organ retention scandal in the 90s. I don't know if you guys remember that, like the old Hague scandal and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So one of the things that we have the HGA for is consent. And it's all about consenting to take specimens and consenting to, you know, do autopsies. And what I like about this, and you'll, re- you'll realise why I'm linking it to this, is because the first part of this whole process is that you have to get permission from a living man to use his skin after death. So... so can you guys hear that siren? Yeah, what
2: is it? Is
3: it a siren? Yeah. Do you want me? Because I was going to say because I can just do it. It stop fine. now. It's like a, it's like a car alarm or something outside. Oh right. Was that uh, really? Was that really loud over the thing? It no, wasn't really loud.
2: No, it's fine. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
3: If I just... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> right. Well, I'll just go on to it then. Okay. <laughs> so what I like about this is the fact that the HTA in the modern world would be quite happy with this process yeah. so it says if you want to make your own necro pants uh, you've got to get the permission from a living man to use his skin after death and then it says after he's been buried you've got to dig him up and then you've got to flay the skin of the corpse in one piece from the waist down oh, yeah.
1: i think it's quite oh. difficult
3: because i, I can't even yeah. kill an apple in one you know yeah <laughs> and then you step into the pants they will stick to your own skin and then you've got to steal a coin from a poor widow, which is quite sad. because it's you
2: know very, very arduous, isn't it? <laughs> it's
3: very specific, right? It's very, yeah, a lot of effort. Steal, steal the coin from the poor widow, put it in the scrotum with this special sigil on a piece of paper. And then eventually those, those skin pants kind of become your own skin. And the coins uh, will always be sort of, that coin will be replicated over and over and over in the scrotum. So you'll never, ever go poor. So that was the idea behind these neck cray pants. And um, you could keep keep them on for as long as you like, but to avoid going to hell, you know, when you take them off, you have to get somebody else to step into them immediately. So, so the point might be, you know, I've gone to all this effort. I'll get my son now to step into these pants and then he can get his son to do it and the pants will just go on and on producing coins for the whole family forever. So, yep. so that, was, that was the rationale behind it.
0: What happens when you need a wee?
3: I think the penis must become sort of your penis as well. But so you've got to no poke mention- it... F- wow. You know, but there's no mention of whether or not, if that if the dead guy's penis was bigger, does your yeah, penis though. become bigger now? Yeah, and would, then what happens... The opposite, right?
0: And then what happens if he gets a lob
3: on? Yeah, like, oh. well, the de- it just
2: bursts yeah. through. Yeah.
3: LAUGHTER <laughs> these questions were not answered in the museum's exhibit. No, <laughs> it's
2: because these people, these people don't think about it hard enough, Carla. These, these, these uh, researchers. <laughs> okay, that, that is just, I don't know where to begin, but I'd just like to say there is such thing as a bad idea. Mm. And this yeah, yeah, awful, yeah, I agree with you. This is an awful, awful idea. I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I think human, uh, it's just, anthropology is fascinating, how people mm. will start to, come up with wherever that belief came from Mm. you know and things are successful and they come they they get passed down from generation to generation but obviously necro pants was i don't suppose i'm sure like one or two pairs have been made and Mm. then people are like that was a lot of hard work and it doesn't doesn't work (laughs) there's no there's no gold coin in this you
3: know nut yeah. purse that i've got well, i mean the thing that i think that's to say as well if you if you look at the, the the picture which i highly suggest that you do it's an incredible picture because you can see you know toenails and hairs and all that but it has to be said these are a reproduction of necropans ah. so these have never actually been found and it makes you wonder you know whether it really was a lot a lot of it was just said in folklore you know because yeah. you you get folklore so like that in, in England, for example, with a hand of glory that you might have heard of, where you cut off a hanged man's hand and then you, I think, put wicks in the fingers and kind of use it as a candle. And it's supposed to allow you to break into anybody's house or, or something. But we have examples of some hands of glory in the UK. You know, there's, there's one in Whitby Museum, right. whereas these pants, you know, nobody's ever found them. Um, so this is a reproduction, but it's realistic as hell and it's a great story so it is it's worth taking a look you oh, know for to, sure. to see them online.
2: i don't know if i ever want us to find those pants <laughs> uh, part of me part of me does part of me just thinks i, I kind of <laughs> like the idea that that was a wind up like some yeah. people were just like i'm just gonna talk and say something absolutely preposterous and everyone was like yeah yeah <laughs> no i've heard of that too yeah. Um, yeah, like, isn't that
3: great. how psychology started Didn't L. Ron Hubbard just say, I'm going to make up a preposterous science fiction thing and see if I can sell it as a religion? And everyone went, yeah, 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 that sounds absolutely great. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And
2: and then everyone started agreeing with him, and he was like, I'm just just going to run with this. (laughs) I'm going to run with it.
3: But, you know, it does make me wonder, right, when it comes to black magic, because, of course, a lot of these spells are going to be like this. You know, they're all, you've got to find a hanged man by a full moon and take out his spleen and then do this with it. And you think, you know, maybe they do work. It's so complicated, nobody's bothered to try it out. But, you know, maybe when you actually get down to the nitty-gritty and you do go through the process, put that sigil in there and steal from an Our Lady, put a coin in, it might work. Who knows? I'm not going to try it. I think
2: that's where Richard Branson got most of his money. (laughs)
3: <laughs> you never know because the people who own those pants are not going to come out and tell you are they uh, yeah, yeah, do you know sick. the other the other
2: thing is though we've with, with black magic and stuff like that and, and you know we science is all induction anyway it's true until we prove it wrong we've got we're always proving what we thought was wrong anyway so oh
3: yeah
2: you have to have a, a, a like a, an open mind to anything mm. um but if you were back then and someone says right the, here's the recipe for your your, your magic uh, necro pants Imagine you do it and it doesn't work, and you Mm. think I've got something wrong in that process. (laughs) (laughs) You do it all over again
3: just to make sure I did it right. Like how many times? But <laughs> so You've got to find another friend, though. Ask them the permission. And wait for them to die, because apparently that's the key part of this, which the most black magic I have to say, consent is not an issue. It's normally just, <laughs> chop off the head of so-and-so, put black beans in the eyes, and you'll be invisible, you know. <laughs> you have to get the um, permission. But one thing I do have to say that's interesting about this type of witchcraft, because there's a scrotum involved here, um, but this is 17th century Icelandic witchcraft. Witchcraft, right now in the rest of the world, the people being persecuted in the witch trials for this were mainly women. In Iceland, it was mainly men, which is really unusual. Right. So there must have been a lot of these some recipe spells going going around. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it's unusual, isn't it? Because we always think of you know the Salem witch trials, women, that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah apparently it, it was the men in Iceland. So. Definitely a good museum to go to, I think, and have yeah. a good look around.
2: <laughs> I think so. And I'd be very surprised if there isn't a tonne of, like, black metal bands. Scandinavian black metal's a, a big thing. I, if if there's not at least three front men wearing their own version of pants, I don't know what they're doing out there. They've got to sort of pump ears <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> I could just picture some kind of, uh, like, black metaler like, running out of a, a, a burning church... But having to stop to wrestle or try and get his penis out of his necro pants that hasn't got the little cut in the front that you can just pop your wheelie <laughs> out of like a pair of wire fronts. There's a design flaw in there, I'm telling you.
3: Well, what about the He's backside
0: as well? He's got
2: no pockets. <laughs> yeah, the backside. I mean, that is, I, I, where do you?
3: Oh, I don't know. I to play. You know those old like Victorian men sleep suits, and they had the flap with the two buttons that you would sort of pull it down yeah. to have two in the middle of the night. You need those. I mean, somebody clearly has not thought this through properly yeah. at all. No. <laughs> but you
2: know, you wouldn't take it to Dragon's Den, would you?
3: No, because
2: th- I don't think you can match up their like their ring with your ring inside. Yeah. I don't know, but we're we're operating in the realm of madness anyway. Maybe that yeah. maybe that was part of it. Who knows? <laughs> that's crazy. Carla, um, hmm. say for instance, the, are you trying to kill me again? Versus the, 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 <laughs> there was an <laughs> like, alarm
0: system in place at the funeral home, and I couldn't get in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and yeah, uh, I, I hadn't realised that Chris had fallen asleep in the long grass in my garden and I accidentally put a lawnmower over him and he was in uh, separate pieces. <laughs> what I mean, for instance, like hypothetically yeah. speaking, if I had to kind of just you know try and get rid of that, how, what, what would you suggest?
3: Well, I was going to suggest use his hand to make a hand of glory. Then you wouldn't need a key to get in the funeral home because that would open all the doors for <laughs> no, you. <that's> ex- perfect.
0: <laughs> but
3: but if... He'd unfortunately gone over his hands, and he had no hands, and he was in bits. Uh, probably do a uh, uh, what's his name from uh, the Hannibal theories and feed them to pigs because pigs yeah. pigs the type that eat human meat are pretty you know voracious you can feed um things like that to obviously to maggots and things called domestic beetles which will eat flesh but it will take a hell of a lot longer but what you definitely don't want to do is cover anything in quicklime because people always think quicklime oh, is the yeah, way to go yeah, yeah, but it yeah. doesn't it doesn't it actually preserves the body slightly it just gets rid of the smell so um but pigs. i think the best thing to do is probably post it in packages all over the world so that nobody can ever match up bits to the bits, you know. That's the, that's the main issue, isn't it?
0: <laughs> that's a really good point. It's a really good point. Oh, do you know what? I've got a shitload of juicy bags
2: as well. <laughs> that's a, cre- it's a creative <laughs> solution. It's a creative solution, and it's also very dastardly. Yeah,
3: yeah. So,
2: you know, it's, it's ticking all the boxes.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> or just make... Make human remains objects and put them in various museums. Pretend they were from, like, the 16th Slip them in there. No
2: yeah, one yeah. will question Slip you. Slip them yeah. in there like Banksy used to do in art, you
3: know? Yeah,
0: do, like... Do, like, the Chris Glass and micro-penis necro-shorts. That would
3: be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wondering, is if you put a micro-penis over your penis, will exactly. yours become
2: a micro-penis? <laughs> I'll never have to worry about that, Carla. So... <laughs> <laughs> what's your number three Carla
3: (laughs) right okay so a bit closer to home actually now we're going to talk about the loving cup which is uh, something that you can see, well, some people can see it. You know, Scotland Yard Museum used to be the Black Museum. They only let um, sort of forensics, people and police in there. But they've got this thing called the Loving Cup. And what, what a Loving Cup is, it's uh, it's like a cup with two handles, usually, um, very decorative, used for banquets and weddings and that sort of thing. And this one happens to be made out of the top of a skull. Uh, what's interesting about this one, actually, is that I've... I've met the guys that were running the museum at the time and they've also written a book and they told me two different stories about this skull at like when I saw them in real life and in the book so it's kind of weird because I think they're not quite sure what the origin um is but it it all starts the same so basically there was a woman who was um you know she was a titled woman very well to do in Ireland in around 1808 I believe it was and she took a lover who was very poor and because of this the family completely disowned her But then when she got pregnant to this lover, he disowned her as well. He didn't want anything to do with her and actually went off to marry a woman who was independently wealthy. So she was, you know, pregnant, destitute. And as many women had to at the time, she um, became a prostitute. So she got over to Edinburgh to do this and she was a prostitute and then she was a madam. So she was clearly quite, you know, successful because not a lot of prostitutes made it to to keep going and start their own businesses, you know. So she's a madam in this uh, brothel. And then one day, so about twenty years after all this happened, she sees this party of young men come into the brothel for a night of, you know, revelry and your father and whatever whatever the kids are saying nowadays. And um, it's, it's, she it's, was, how's your father I can how's your, father, yeah. um, <laughs> how's your grandma, I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> so, um, she recognises one of these boys as the son of this lover who jilted her. No. And she, she murders him. She's pissed off. She's out of revenge. She decides she's going to murder him. Believe How many, how many years later is that? Because that is. 20. 20. 20
2: yeah. I'm not saying he didn't do the dirty on her. He, he no, actually I know. But you know. That, is, that, is, that is showing how to hold a grudge. That's a professional yeah. grudge holder, Madame
0: i very mean, very definitely. He's got, he's gone got a few drinks and gone to empty his coin bag, and like it's all gone wrong, <laughs> isn't it?
3: In, two, in more than one way, he's emptying yeah. his coin purse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the fact that she could even recognize him, it's not as if, you know, he was so media and she'd been, you know, following him for 20 years and she knew what his kid looked like. So, you know, but apparently this is what happened and she killed him uh, and she slit his throat, we think. But this is where the story diverges. So the first uh, version of the story is that she is, of course, arrested um, and she's hanged. And as is... You know, as we we're learning today, fairly normal. The body was dissected, and the top of her head was used to create a loving cup, yeah. a skull um, cup, and it's quite beautiful as well. You can see this again online. Um, it's got a lot of silver work on it, beautiful silver handles. You can see all the sort of the furrows on the inside of the skull where the veins would go, um, and there's some red staining in there. And um, the 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 guy who was a curator of pathology, not the so well, the police museum, sorry, in the he had it examined and apparently it is a woman's skull and the red staining inside it isn't blood but it's wine. wine so it has absolutely things to drink out of but the other side of the story is that she actually removed the boy's skull cap when she murdered him and then she asked a client who was a silversmith to make it into a loving cup so i mean i i don't know why the other story is around as well, and that was the story I got told when I met the guys. Because if it's a female skull, and I think an anthropologist has looked at it and they've determined it's a female skull, then it's more likely to be hers. But again, I mean, there's no real explanation as to why young woman, you know, murdered somebody. Why her head became a cop, yeah. Really, it's just sort of somebody must have made that decision and and thought this is a good good idea.
0: And I mean, as a, as a you know, as a branding exercise. Like you know, if the, she was hoping it was going to catch on and was going to, going to flog a few, like where is she pulled the word loving from,
2: yeah. I don't get the loving part of this, it's very like
0: <laughs> the spin doctor has
2: been on yeah. this. It should
0: be yeah, called really like the word. really fucking bitter cup or something the like that,
3: cup. yeah. <laughs> the three, yeah. Well, it was because, though, you see, the loving cups themselves were in existence. So they were just in existence as like silver cups or gold cups or, you know, Uh, ivory and she just made one out of a, a school because I wondered that at first and I always tend to post this around Valentine's Day on my social media because I'm always like the loving story of the loving cup and then I'm like this woman butchered this guy and her head chops off and and it's great and people go I didn't think that was where you were going with that um, <laughs> but what I think is interesting is I mean we we as human beings you know we have um a history of drinking out of Skulls from going back to the Ice Age. I mean, there was there was a skull cup found in a cave in Somerset in uh, you know about twenty years ago or so, but it was fourteen thousand seven hundred years old. Wow! And it had signs on it on it of you know it been made into a cup. But also, the bones of the skeletons in the same place had gnaw marks on them, you know, from cannibalism and that sort of thing. And so it's you know believed that we did drink out of skulls, but usually for special occasions. I mean, it wasn't like just a cup of tea in the morning it would be like a ritual which is kind of what the loving cup is for it's for a banquet it goes around the table um and then tibetan um, kapalas again are a ritual item made from skulls that are used by tibetan monks but again uh, we think to ourselves oh human beings how far we've come we don't do that crap anymore not so because in 2015 in Borough Market there was a Halloween pop-up done by Bumpus and Park and they had a cocktail that you could drink out of a human skull. Oh no, really? So that wasn't even that long ago and they no. you know they kind of said oh it's okay because we procured it from an antique dealer rather than you know digging someone up and yes, checking But yes. oh, I don't know whether it makes it okay. <laughs> I, think, I think sometimes you have to remember these people are human remains they lived you know they died they had families they're not vessels for drinking out of no so exactly show, you know
2: where, where do you draw the line on authenticity
0: well, yeah let's, let's ask ourselves that so if uh, for instance we're, we're we're i'm sitting in the in the in the within at the moment oh. uh, <laughs> and and for instance say uh we was recording this
1: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: You know, post-COVID, we're all in here, and it's like, who fancies uh, a Jager bomb? And I pull out the human skull. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Who's drinking out of a human skull?
2: Mm. Everyone's um, going to want to try. <laughs> I, I, I generally don't think I'd bother. Like I don't know.
0: What, you're not bothered, or you wouldn't.
2: Oh, no, I don't think. Uh, I don't mm. think I would. It's but you know what? It's I'm it's right. Right. I cave Chris, into peer it's, pressure. It's really. To be quickly. scared, Chris. It's
0: all right to be scared, mate.
2: Taking <laughs> out know, skulls and Ouija boards, even though it was made by you know Hasbro, mm. they're just my like two things that I probably mm. would, would would possibly draw draw the line at. It's
3: would fun. you then? Would you do it? Would you do it? Me? Oh, both I, of you. Both. I, I don't, I don't think I would. I mean, there's enough fake human skull goblets going around, so you can sort of pretend that you're the queen of hell on a throne of, you know, bibs and drink. other I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm around dead bodies all the time, so it's not so much of a novelty. Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine that. Hipsters, I mean, you know, to use the term quite loosely, but like in Borough Market, you know, you've got some kind of a gimmick yeah. here. Yeah, Everything yeah. else has been tried. I can, I can see that people would be interested yeah. to do yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would. Plus it would be bad. It'd be, be bad press for me. You know, it wouldn't be on brand <laughs> because I, I, I'm, I've I'm got to have a lot of respect for the deceased, you know. I don't want them to come about to haunt me
2: think, <laughs> on like if you look at today, like it's funny you say about the plastic skull cups. It's just we actually have every more of everything now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so like it's it must be so difficult for us all to sort of like think that people would have had that more uh, relationship with say body parts and stuff. But we had less of everything, 200, mm-hmm. 300, 1, 000, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years mm-hmm. ago. So actually, a human bodies it has a value, mm-hmm. a, a tangible value in itself that we don't. We're lucky enough to not have to desperately think about now.
3: Mm-hmm. So I think we would have. No, had I think a that's absolutely right. Completely
2: different um, sort of relationship with that, and it mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be a you know the the, the how we how our morals have changed mm-hmm. to think that that's not appropriate because we we actually don't need to. But yeah, yeah, today yeah. a skull cup actually is probably quite handy if you're a caveman or or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't go yeah. to, you can't nip down to IKEA.
3: No, Sorry. exactly. <laughs> you might be able to in a few years. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. About, the thing, and the thing, you know, you're right though, because the thing about the cannibalism aspect of that as well. I mean, as like everything in the world, you know, it it fluctuates depending on the time. But there was yeah. for a very long time, we as humans, we cannibalized our dead as a mark of respect and actually if you you know there are some tribes that still practice elements of that and not so much now up until the 70s and 80s until they started to get things like kuru which is kind of like a um, you know cook spell disease like a mad yeah. cow disease yeah. um from imbibing the brains. but the whole point was that it was more respectful to take those parts of your ancestors into yourself and have them live on than to put them in the dirt if you see what yeah. i mean So when you look at it from from that point of view, if they were to come here and then see people being embalmed and pumped full of chemicals and then paraded in a coffin with makeup on, they'd be, they'd be like, "What? That's like a, something you know, Kenneth Nielsen would do." Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so you're right. I mean, it, it's not it, the, the idea of cannibalism in that sense is 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 so sacred, and also it's kind of what um what you also said about using everything. You know, people who live on farms, for example, don't throw wastage for of like the sheep they kill or the pigs they kill because everything is important so you know the skin is kept as crackling and the, the fat might be used because yeah that's 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 the best way to do it isn't it really to use it all and respect it all
2: that yeah i mean it's so weird because it, it's like it, it it's almost nauseating for me when i think about cannibalism but again it's just because of the um the culture that have been brought up in and yet mm. you know you don't find and, and i don't know what other items you've got on here but if people are finding the idea of necro pants uncomfortable
1: mm.
2: you know it's because it's a human but you've you, you're okay with it when it's like uh, a pair of leather pants for a mm. rock star and it's from a cow <laughs> you know it's not yeah. a leather jacket from a cow doesn't freak you out
3: yeah uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that there was a, a, for a while ago, I can't remember the name of her, but it was a designer who made a bag out of human skin, but she didn't, she didn't take it from a dead body. What she'd actually done was she'd cloned um, skin cells. So she, she'd created uh. skin cells in a lab, which again is, you know, it's a good, it's an interesting artistic statement, but as you say, it's not something that we really need to do. Um, but interesting nonetheless, because somebody then went on to do exactly the same thing and recreate Van Gogh's ear so you know oh, it's quite wow. like, it's sort of like frankenstein for the modern era you know you don't have to dig up body parts and sew them all together we can make them all separately and put them together and yeah 3D them. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah so you know this is the thing about the world isn't it and it, it it goes forward but it also kind of repeats things that have happened in the past in a different way yeah. so who knows like you said ikea in two or three years maybe we'll be getting all our skull cups from there <laughs> <laughs>
2: What's your number two, Carla?
3: Right. So this one is, and I think people are probably going to have a bit more of an easier time with this one. This is the um, pocketbook that was made out of the skin of William Burke. So I think a lot of people are familiar with Burke and Hare, right? Yeah. Um, Do you know anything about those guys? So they're they're well known as body snatchers. Uh, which is what brings me back to this whole idea of there not being enough bodies for anatomy at one point, um, but they weren't body snatchers; they were not murderers. So to to dig up bodies that were recently buried was too much fast for Birkin Hare. And where what where, were, where were they based, Carla? Sorry, where were they were Scotland. Yeah, so yeah, it was
2: Scotland. Cause did, it was Scotland because I did. I think they're at the. Uh, I did the London Dungeon uh, thing, and yeah. I think they were mentioned in the the London Dungeon as well. Yeah, sorry, yeah, go on, was... sorry.
3: Yeah, because the thing is that they weren't the only ones, actually. And eventually there was also a group called the London Burkers. Um, but, so, so what they did was they murdered 16 people, basically. Too much fast, digging them out of the ground. Um, murdered okay. them and then sold them very fresh to, a, you know, obviously a, a bit of a dodgy doctor like our Dr. Osborne um, called Dr. Knox. who didn't seem to mind how warm they were. All he cared about was the fact that he was getting good products. Um so, around this time it was like eighteen hundred twenty eight in Scotland, um, they were eventually caught. you know sixteen people um, they murdered and as would be the usual case, they would be hanged um, and dissected because that would be part of their punishment. But one of them, Hare, was William Burke and william hare william Hare actually turned king 's evidence against Burke, so he escaped he got off lightly. Oh. He was just- sent away whereas William Burke was hanged and he was dissected so some would say well there you go you know that's that's justice for you isn't it because he was selling bodies to be dissected Um, and his skull is still on display at the surgeon's hall in edinburgh wow. but so is this pocket book that was made so it's kind of like a mixture i know americans call a pocketbook like a, a purse so you know for any american audiences it's not quite like that it is more like a small book and it has even a pencil holder <laughs> on the side and the front of it um it says uh you know the skin of William Burke, 1828, Um, and what people could do is they could write notes and things and they could, you know, put it inside this book and carry it around with them. There's not really much information on who used it, um, but it's there still. You can still see it. But there was also made... A, uh, a little card holder, like a business card holder, which I thought was quite funny because I didn't know people really had business cards in the 1828s. Um And that is in a different place as well. Um, so you can see that too. But the idea of putting these, you know, skin around books, a bit like, you know, the Book of the Dead in The Evil Dead or um, the Sanderson Sisters book in Hocus Pocus, mm-hmm. like yeah. books bound in human skin yeah. called, you know, anthropoderm- Anthropodermic bibliopagy it's called, was quite common practice with the skin of criminals which is probably where john osborne got this idea but you know instead of a book he thought i'll have shoes and a matching handbag yeah um so so there are quite a lot of books out there that abound in human skin and many of them are from prisoners
2: i i, I definitely think the necronomicon is like the that that's fine if you're a demon and you bind a book in human skin that's fine <laughs> only demons leave it leave it yeah. there I I say. Just.
0: the body snatchers Mm -hmm. Like, if they went in I mean, you you say they killed 16 people. Mm -hmm. Is there, like, a a sort of criteria on the shopping list? Like, is is it like, look, can you get us, like, a couple of them and one of them and, like, and, yeah, and if you're struggling, just throw in a couple of teenagers, like, (laughs) you know. Or was it, you know, I I, I don't know. Like, was there, like, right, we want, you know, 10 women, Mm -hmm. 5 men, you know.
3: Well, it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't necessarily sort of done for order, but there was a pricing scale what you could provide so you know for those who aren't totally familiar right. with the idea of the snatchers you know the, the the point was that i mean it affected poor people more than it affected the rich because it was a very common fear this was something people knew would happen um and if you were rich you could do things like put a big metal cage over your grave called a mort safe or you could be buried in the family sepulcher you know i always so, wondered
2: what that was the cage. yeah
3: that's what they are because you can see a lot of them in scotland still yeah. which is um in in the. Uh, yeah, there's a lot a lot of places you can see them. So, so it affected the poor. So, of course, they were terrified. They're the ones who were buried in the crappier coffins closer to the surface. Um, and what these body snatchers would do. And different to grave robbing, by the way, because a lot of people say grave robbers, but grave robbing is when you steal grave goods. and and things like that and there was actually a law against that at the time but there wasn't a law against body snatching because it was unprecedented so what these guys used to do is they would you know wait until the night time they would hear who was freshly buried a lot of the time they would even pay police surgeons and grave diggers and you know cemetery workers to tell them who were the freshest ones give them a bit of money shut them up and then they would pull them out the grave but if they had any clothes or jewelry on them they would put that back Because that was illegal and they knew it. This was why they got away with it for so long. Because the body at at that time wasn't considered to be sort of property of anyone. So they were able to get away with it. And obviously the fresher the body was, you know, the more money they would get from, from the doctors. So and, the jewelry
2: uh, the was the property. The jewelry was the property yeah. of the dead person, but the dead person's body wasn't the property of the dead.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's obviously again, it's different now, and it's different. You know, next of kin property and coronial property on unidentified bodies and things like that. But it was so unprecedented at the time, and because these medical schools were desperate for for corpses to, to practice anatomy on and to learn about the body, this was how they would, you know, get them. And they would get more money for fresh ones. They would get more money for women um, which definitely just has a bit of a lascivious element to it there wasn't Mm. really any particular reason unless they were pregnant because of course then you can see you get two for one right which is pretty grim thinking um and then children i don't think they got quite so much money for those because i think they were smaller but these body snatchers earned a lot of money they had earned about a year's worth of money of a normal wage in say a month and they got summers off because there's no refrigeration in these universities. So they didn't do dissections over the summer. So for the savvy wow. body snatchers who kept their money, they didn't have to work in the summer or other ones would just do some other type of labor. Um, but yes, it was in the dead, you know, dead of winter, cold nights. And they, they had a process where they would get these bodies out as quick as possible. But this is why, as I say, Burke and Hare just thought, nah, that is far too much trouble. And they started to murder people by sitting on their chest and smothering them, so like a manual asphyxiation, and that became called burking. So if you look in the dictionary, the phrase to burk someone is to do that. And then that's why later on there was a group of people in London and they did the same thing and they were called the London burkers but caused an outcry absolutely massive outcry and so the anatomy act came into force in 1832 and then what that meant was that medical students would receive not just uh criminal corpses as we have talked about but they would receive ones from the workhouse and um, corpses who weren't identified or you know by anybody and it it was enough it was enough that there was then no need for a trade in body snatching and that that was the end of it really
2: Wow, I did that. I've learned so much there. <laughs> I also quite, quite fancy being a body snatcher. The pace seemed really good. Oh,
3: great! <laughs> the,
2: head, the one thing again is like these people. I think they're going to save themselves some time, mm-hmm. and then they they do this strange death by asphyxiation like that. Mm-hmm. That seems like I would have thought just a hammer or something around the back of the head. Mm. just get it done but i guess they, they don't they uh, i guess the they, uh um the doctors wanted the bodies untampered with. so so being asphyxiated meant that you know it's not yeah exactly you're not going to have yeah. blood everywhere and stuff like that yeah
3: well exactly sorry
2: no if you if
0: you was to you know needed that and and for instance like you I, I don't know say like just just looking at the three of us here like you you needed you needed to sort of uh kill someone, you know, you know, without leaving any kind of noticeable damage. So, so for instance, Chris, like, um, <laughs> how would you suggest the best way to, to do that would be, Carla?
3: Well, um, there's, there's a few that pop into my head, because you, you're quite right. I mean, you, you don't want to leave marks on the body, right? Especially... No. When you're trying to convince a doctor to buy your wares as well, you don't want him too suspicious. There's a certain level of suspicion. But but I think probably one of the most, and this is just something I know from somebody who very nearly got away with this, was just injecting someone with insulin. Oh, um, wow because if you're not diabetic and you get injected with insulin it can cause the coma right. um, and I believe he'd injected the person between the fingers as well which is just a place that is not really going to get looked at autopsy and um, I think this person could have got away with it except they started to boast about it basically worked, worked in a hospital had stolen the insulin from there and wow. then started to boast about how he thought it would be the perfect murder and so then people started to look into it um, but with things like asphyxiation with the birking the most you would probably get there is what we call petechial haemorrhages in the eyes. So you would get very tiny tiny sort of red dots in the eyes, which happens when you get strangled or asphyxiated. Um, but there's, there's not that many ways that you can kill someone without leaving yeah, a mark. so unlucky, Sue. So so yeah, poison
2: would be a class poison would be a class
0: see,
3: but we can we kept for it. Like
0: hospitals then.
3: Yeah, mm, yeah we've
2: we, we, got a fridge full of it. Um but uh yeah, that's for proper use. But go and give he, he doesn't like me too much, Stu. Give him a <laughs> I'll send him his number. Couldn't you do the, the I always found him breaking bad when he made that ricelin pill or something like that. It was, it was a little pill we gave someone, it was like made someone die and seen like oh, yeah. natural causes. So um that's what I'm gonna to do to you. Um, <laughs> not you, Kyla.
3: You've been wonderful. You've got to get your own back on Stu, I think. After yeah, I this. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, we you know it people catch for poisons routinely because if um, somebody, you know, dies in a way and it looks like there's no, you know, it's not like the olden days before things like the Marsh test for arsenic and and, and even thallium that you know Graham Young used in the 70s and very nearly got away with, it except that he couldn't help boasting about it. Um, but we do a tox screen as standard, and so these things will come up in the bloods, and 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 that's that's the issue really. So there's not really that many ways that you can you can do it and and you know it not be seen. Unfortunately, so I can't help you out. <laughs>
2: Show. You're going to have to stick with lawnmower. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. What, what's your number one, Carla? has
3: <laughs> <It's> been, <a, laughs> been
2: an incredible top five, by the way.
3: <laughs> right. Well, I have left the best to last, I think. So this is the pièce de résistance of human remains uh, obje- objects. And these are the Ciccio Marini tables, uh, which you can see in the Museum of History of Medicine in Paris. So, Officio Marini was this, they call him an Italian naturalist doctor, right. and he perfected this process called petrification, uh, which is, I always think of it a little bit like what Gunter von Hagens does with the with the body world plastinates, right. um, although they're, they're not skinned. Yeah. But he basically found a way to get human remains to sort of remain looking like flesh, but they were rock hard. They call him the petrifier, probably in more ways than one, really. Um, And so what he did is in 1866, he created a gift for Napoleon III. um, And this was a table so it looks like uh, a beautiful top table you know it's got these golden legs and everything and the top it looks like it's got a mosaic on it but then you sort, your eyes kind of drawn to the feathered foot in the middle so there's like oh. a severed foot with a silver cap on it so you can't see inside the bone or anything yeah. but the cap has got something engraved on it probably to napoleon my pal from marini you know um and do you remember the the earring necklace that Dolph Lundgren wore in Universal Soldier do you ever remember that <laughs> could never
2: could never forget it Carla oh, right. could never forget right.
3: it. So, so after you notice the foot the next thing that you notice is all these eyes dotted around and what it is oh. it's just all human remains that are embedded in this kind of mosaic of a table and I'm going to read you out what the sign on it says so it says it's formed of petrified brains, blood, bile, liver, lungs and glands upon which rests a foot, four ears and sections of vertebrae, which are also petrified. <laughs> so it doesn't say that Napoleon that is crazy. the gift. I just <laughs> want to say <laughs> But that's who it was made for.:
2: <laughs> Wow. That is some that is some gift. And uh, mm. uh, if he didn't accept it, it's very ungrateful. That is mad. <laughs> like, but there's other things. Like often me and Shu come to we argue over the fact that I like science fiction and fantasy and Stu likes mm. to be practical. But I have to say, Stu, for the first time in a long time, if your if your argument is why bother, I would say that this is a lot of hard work. Mm. When you just <laughs> cut a tree down And get a nice finish on that oak, (laughs) you know, and do some good engraving on that. I don't see where, like, petrifying a foot and eyes. That is crazy. I'm going to have to – can you see pictures of this, Because I'm going to have to – Yeah, 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 you can see pictures. Yeah, do you want to see one now? Because I've got – I can get it on
3: my – Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, Because this is just
3: great. So I did you guys a slideshow, actually. Oh, Oh, that's so cute. That's, see the no right. Right. Yep. So that's the necro pants. No, That's the necro pants, and that's the sign that you put in there, and it's just going to see yeah. it will slide over quickly to the table. So you, I'll just... That's the loving cup. That's the loving cup. Lovely silver. Yeah. And then that's the skip yeah, book. Yeah, and yeah. And then it will come very quickly to... Oh, that's... So you can see the pencil there.
2: Handy, pencil holder, ahead of their time. Wow. I should have patented that. Yeah. There it
3: is. There
2: it is. You see? What
0: wow. What
2: the hell? isn't I mean, insane
0: for listeners what we should say is uh I'm, I'm going to ask you carla to email me them pictures and oh
1: yeah, uh, uh, yeah and absolutely. i'll put them
0: on the uh, the cover artwork for the uh for this episode so people can go and have mm-hmm. a look at uh you know all of these things we'll add them to the Definitely. socials as well so people can see them so that yeah, is my well,
3: i, I my um uh, my past Moulton's account that I you know, got in touch with you guys on, that is pretty much me talking about all types of human remains. And so a lot of this, this comes up, you know. But I think in the case of this, this, this man, you know, there's an element of there's the Dr. Frankenstein aspect, isn't there, that some, some people have and they want to be, like, like Gunton Hagens has it with the plastination process, and they want to be the one that comes up with this amazing preservation process. So he didn't, you know, just make these tables. He petrified all sorts of body parts. to to put in an anatomy museum so that people could see them and be like, wow, you're great at this. So Mm. apparently there's a a pair of women's breasts that if you Tap on them, they're like marble, you know, they're rock hard, and nobody really knows what his process was. So, that's the kind of person that Gunther von Hagens would have studied. So, if someone like that's trying to make their name, um, you know, and become, I don't know, part of like the court of the emperor or something, then of course they're going to go, Well, I could give you any old table, but (laughs) what I'm going to (laughs) do. It's yeah. just, yeah, everything. Throw it all in, in in there and look at my amazing talent. And, you know, as I say, whether or not Napoleon used it for his coffee, I don't know, maybe he had a loving cup. Maybe yeah, I that. I he sat there in his skin pants. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
2: yeah i mean he, he yeah he, he had a sufficient relationship with death napoleon anyway so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's not that queasy with any of that stuff
3: but, yeah. but it's uh, yeah so certainly definitely worth looking out because once you start as well you, you know you'll fall down a rabbit hole i mean things like the human skin books there's, there's about 50 of them at the moment and there's a there's an organization that are looking into all these books to determine whether or not they are actually made of human skin and some of them have been you know disproved but one of the interesting ones is actually in the welcome collection here in London. And I just wanted to very quickly read you this bit because the book is about female virginity. And this is what the doctor said, the doctor who bound this book. This curious little book on virginity and the female reproductive functions seems to me worth of a binding, appropriate to the subject and covered by a portion of female skin tanned by myself. You know, who wrote oh, it's all about female reproduction. So we'll just, you know, we'll just put skin on it then. Not,
2: wasn't it, it? Yeah, not going to pay any attention to what that doctor's got to say.
3: Mm, um, exactly. Uh, it's ironic, isn't it, when these people are supposed to take the old Hippocratic oath of harm none. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot There's a lot there to look into. I mean, I know the Muta Collection in, in, in America's got two or three books and they're all bound with the skin of the same woman. So, you know, she's... An anthology. She's a series of books, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what the situation was there, but as soon as you start looking into it, yeah, you can fall down a rabbit hole of. It. But maybe that's what you could do with his, with Chris's body. Just make a table. No one will. No one will believe.
0: <laughs> Great chat. Great chat. <laughs> Carla, thank you so much for today. That's, that's big, been incredible. Absolutely. So uh, you. Yeah. Again, it's one of the ones where Chris and I are barely talk because. It, they're, they're the but. good ones you know they're the good ones when we're just like <laughs>
3: wow <laughs> I, just, I just went to use speechless a couple of times there so I was proud of that <laughs>
2: Oh, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> what what have you got going on, Carla, at the moment? Then, before we before we sign off, is there anything? Oh,
3: well, I am editing my second book at the moment. So my book is all about the forensics of Agatha Christie, because oh. a lot of people think she was uh, very cosy, but actually you can chart the history of forensics, blood spatter, firearms, all sorts of stuff throughout Christie's book. So that's really exciting. Wow, and that's just, very cool. Hopefully, another series of Morton, which is the podcast I do on BBC Sounds. So, so yeah, lots going on, which is quite nice, you know, in the lockdown sort of areas that we're in. You know, it's it's nice to be able to just do this stuff from home.
0: So, if people want to keep up to speed with what you're doing, where's the best place to follow you, Carla?
3: Well, I'm uh, pastmortems on Instagram and I'm Past Mortems on Twitter as well, I think, because that was the name of my first book. So they're the best places to find me. And then I'll probably, you know, I've got a website as well, like CarlaValentine.co.uk. Dead simple.
0: <laughs> well, if you're happy to be tagged in uh, all of the posts for this when we put it out, then uh, people can go and uh, go and find and keep up to speed with uh, what's going on. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Carla. It's oh, been awesome. Um if you're coming, you're coming round later, um I'll just come straight round the back so I've got a motor along.
2: Yeah, no worries, mate, no, I'll see I'll see you in a few hours, man. I won't tell anyone I'm coming either.
0: <laughs> um oh, so you pick up a bit of insulin on the way over. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I really
3: should have said, don't try this at home, anyone, anything I've said. (laughs) It's a bit late
0: for a disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Thanks loads, Carla.
3: Thank you. It was nice knowing you, Chris.
2: Me too. Nice
1: to meet
0: you. Bye. Chris and I want to tell you all about our Patreon page. It won't take long, but we think you're going to want to hear it.
2: Because you're missing out, quite frankly. All the more risque stuff that we sometimes think, oh, can we get away with that? Uh, We put it on our Patreon pages. And there's over 150 episodes uh, for our $10 subscribers.
0: Absolutely. So for wherever that works out in UK pounds, what's that, about £7.50 a month?
2: Yeah, for for the price of a bag of chips, for a Savaloy and chips, you can actually have us in your ears four times extra a month.
0: That's four episodes minimum that we put out um, exclusively for Patreons. Plus, um, there's loads of, we video most of our episodes now, and the videos you can watch all of the podcasts now over on Patreon as well. Um, we put up loads of other unique content over there, Yeah, there's, there's,
2: there's pictures there. It's basically our version of our OnlyFans account, isn't it, basically? So you, you exactly. get the sort of pictures on there of, of the behind the scenes of Stew tucking into a pot noodle, basically. Sort of stuff you, that shouldn't be available to the public.
0: No one needs to see that. But that's all. We just thought we'd give you a quick heads up that if you're enjoying these podcasts, then be aware for like £7.50, you can go and listen to over 150 exclusive episodes. And there's some great ones over there with previous guests as well. Um, loads of names that you're going to recognise if you've been listening to, to the, the, the the weekly podcast we put out.
2: And yeah, and also, if you are a subscriber, we're more than likely to do one of your top fives if you recommend it, because we prioritise the patrons first, don't we, as well?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So we, we, we try and sort of do as many top five suggested by you lot as well. So, uh, yeah, head over to Patreon. Where can they find out about it, Chris? Uh,
2: Patreon.com forward slash hardcore listing. Easy peasy. And you can watch an intro video there as well of us in jacuzzis and doing sexy stuff.
0: With Gal Porter.
2: With Gal Porter. Not doing sexy stuff with Gal Porter. Can I just clear, clear that <laughs> up? Gal, I'm <laughs> not trying to drag your name through the mud.
0: And Scroobius Pip.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right p a t r e o n dot com forward slash hardcore listing. It's a drunken soiree in we're in. Chris and Stu present Hardcore Listing, the podcast.